0: Pale horse. The man who sat on him was death. And hell followed with him. You're killing me, man. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Declarations of War. I'm your host, Alexev Card, joined by my co-host, Andy Astronaut. Hello, hello. Our other co-hosts send you their regards that are unable to make it for RL reasons, it being the holiday season and whatnot. Hope to get back to a full staff in January. Looking forward to it. We have, uh, if you haven't heard of it, you haven't heard a previous episode, please take time. This is one of the... Best interviews I think we've done so far. Interview with the Mitanni, the leader of the Imperium. Uh, It's quite a long one, but I highly recommend it. So if this is your first episode listening to Declarations, or for whatever reason, you just skipped the last one. Take the time to go back and check it out. We had a poll. Has the interview changed how you see the Mitanni? The options were, yes, I see him more favorably. No, about pretty much the same. Or I see him less favorably. 62% of respondents see him more favorably. So apparently this interview is very good for the Imperium's PR machine.
1: Yeah, I mean, I thought it was interesting because it actually worked out really well. I was traveling and um, seeing and helping some family, and the last episode took up literally the entire trip down and the entire trip back for me. So it filled up the time, like, almost perfectly. Um, but yeah, like I, I think the, you know, I wasn't there, but one of the things that is kind of notorious from kind of goon PR perspective is they, they can have a lot of their own shows. Don't go on a lot of kind of shows outside of the the Goon network or Imperium network. And a lot of people will say, you know, there's a lot of spin to what they say because they can choose their own questions, ask their own questions and do it on their own platform. So I think a lot of people, probably me included, like this was one of the more, what I would call like unbiased interviews where, you know, it wasn't like he got to pick what questions you asked him, you know, he wasn't able to just kind of avoid a question if he didn't like it or, you know, like, like, he, he kind of was stuck with the questions you asked, and I think you did a good job of asking a wide variety of questions from, like, a lot of different time periods and in a way that there wasn't as much spin as you see when, you know, you basically are, like, hand-selecting your own questions.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know to what extent we usually talk about this kind of thing because it usually doesn't come up, but the guests that come on to declarations of war never see the questions in advance. Um I mean, I guess they'll see them in the show notes when they get them that day, but there's really no prep time but also we're not really there to like kind of catch them out or or do gotcha type stuff it's more just i want their authentic off the cuff reactions uh, or off the top of their head reactions rather than a well-researched answer and so that's just kind of the way we do it but I, I wasn't out there to like ask him any questions that were super uncomfortable or were, or were designed to embarrass him or get some kind of like uh inadvertent disclosure of information or anything like that. But at the same time, you know, I, this is my big opportunity to talk to the Montani Like you mentioned, he doesn't take interviews to a lot of non-goon sources. So I wanted to make sure we covered a lot of ground and, uh, you know, uh, ask and follow up questions and things like that.
1: Yeah, I liked that there was at least a couple spots where you said, like, oh, actually, I need to pause and think about that, because I feel like that's always when you know you asked like, an interesting question or a good question. It's one they, like, weren't necessarily expecting or haven't been asked a ton in the past.
0: Yeah, the Matani at a loss for words only on declarations of war.
1: <laughs> I lost for words only after, like, an hour and a half.
0: <laughs> right, wow, well, yeah.
1: But yeah, it was good. I liked it. Um, and And, and
0: cheers to Alex for sitting down for such a long interview. We didn't plan on going that long. It's just kind of how it worked out and we were we were both just talking and then it was like oh my god it's been two hours
1: yeah i was actually kind of glad i wasn't there because there was so much you guys talked about and covered that was like well well before my time like i had i was like i wasn't even playing i didn't even know Eve existed when these people were playing kind of thing so it was cool to kind of hear the history and like two people talking about things that had happened way way back that like i didn't even know about or didn't know these people or any of like what they were famous for
0: I think that's a really interesting part of a lot of Eve players' story, who they were before they became the person that you heard about when you're like, oh, that person would make a great guest. Because, you know, I think about my own path through the game and, and so many other people's path through Eve to get to, like, director status or running this program or building this website or FCing. You know, there's everybody starts somewhere. You're never just coming in and being that person. So I like to try to get that out from the guests, and I thought Atani's uh, rise was particularly interesting.
1: Yeah, I thought so too. I think it was interesting too. Like I didn't realize that Goons kind of had their own gaming community outside of Eve that was kind of more or less independent that can kind of sparked things.
0: Oh wow! Really you didn't I thought? Yeah, 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 I didn't. Well, I guess yeah, it's become a much smaller part of their identity in the past couple of years. But um, so if you haven't been playing more than like five years ago. Yeah, I guess you wouldn't, but it was a big deal at the time because they were one of the first big outside of Eve gaming communities to come in since, you know, like the original small gaming groups came in, but they were the biggest and one of the highest profile. And they came in with their own unique culture. And I remember being around at the time. I wasn't like a big deal in Eve at the time. So this was just me on the forums or listening to my director You know, sitting on the floor by the fireside, as uh, as our CEOs and our directors are talking about them, and uh, they definitely got the Eve world talking, and not just in the Bob circles, but just everyday people in low sec and high sec were paying attention to them. No one really knew what to make of them necessarily. Um, Opinions on them varied very wildly, usually negative. either cuz just they they just didn't know them and didn't trust them or because they had heard things about them and didn't like them or they in fact did bad things to them or someone they knew and didn't like them for that reason. They were notorious for recruitment scamming, which was a big deal at the time, where they would um require like an ISK deposit <laughs> to be recruited and they would just take the ISK and tell people to screw off.
1: Oh man. Yeah, yeah back in was the day. Ours back then. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's not quite the same, but it reminds me a little bit of, like, the closest analogy I have is when Frat joined the game from um, the Serenity server. Um yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a little different because obviously like they were their own EVE community and they're going from EVE to EVE, just different servers. But a little bit the same way where you have this big community that's already kind of pre-built and they're coming into EVE more or less like new. But I think that's a little different because the new mechanics and shifting from EVE to EVE just different servers is a little uh, more similar than having like an entirely different game gaming community. But that's like the closest thing I can kind of think of where there's this big wave. People are talking big influx of people and not sure how it's going to pan out, you know, what them taking space is going to look like, all that kind of stuff.
0: I think the biggest difference was frat. They've got the Eve experience, but they also had a bit of an Eve track record. People kind of knew what to expect from them. They knew who the big players were and vice versa, they had experience in EVE diplomacy, neither of which was true when, when goons came in. No one really knew what to make of them, and there, there was no like track record to go look up other than the Something Awful forums in general and what, what you might read on there, which didn't really have anything to do with EVE proper. Uh, and they didn't really have diplomatic experience within EVE, and I think Matani touched on that a couple times about you know, how that sort of informed or didn't inform how they interacted with some of the older players and player groups.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I thought it was interesting overall. It's cool to still learn things about Eve after playing for a decent amount of time. (laughs) Well,
0: uh, at the top of the hour, we want to talk about NAR and NAR recruitment. Now that we are done with the Alliance tournament, NAR is recruiting as is NAR Academy. We have some, uh, Interesting improvements going on in the Noir Academy space. We'll talk about that more in January. But needless to say, classes are resuming. We have some really talented pilots that have already signed up. I'm very excited about them. And we look forward to you listeners out there joining their number. So come check us out. If you join cafe noir.in game, that's cafe space noir, period. You'll find a link to our Discord as well as a Uh, recruitment application for Noir Academy. If you've already got PvP experience, we're happy to recruit you directly into Noir. Um, We're also looking for corporations for the network, particularly Eastern Standard Time Zone, uh, US-based PvP Corps, Potchfin Specialty Corps, and Wormhole Specialty Corps. So if you are among that group, we are especially interested in hearing from you. But just in general, uh, we're keeping an open mind on recruitment hoping to pick up one more corp by the end of the year. And I think things are looking decent for that. Fingers crossed. (laughs) All right, heading into our top stories. Andy, it is the holidays. Eve is looking very festive. Talk to us about the Winter Nexus.
1: Yeah, so like previous years, um, Eve is doing the Winter Nexus event. I believe it goes for quite a while, um, all the way through kind of beginning of January. And I haven't looked at kind of all the specifics yet, but um, they have some login rewards, including SP, some cool bomber skins, um, and some unique boosters that do kind of all kinds of crazy stuff. Like there's some cap boosters. There's some uh, shield resist boosters. There's like all kinds of basically one, one use kind of unique boosters that are interesting. Um, and then they have sites that are split through kind of high sec, low sec, null sec, as well as different activities. So there's mining, combat, and explow um kind of from everything i've heard the high sec ones aren't too bad to do um but have some pretty heavy muting pressure low sec and null sec ones are pretty hotly contested i guess high sec's pretty hotly contested as well um but we're seeing like a decent number of fights off the low sec ones especially and um there's been quite a few kind of losses kind of associated with both the combat and the expo ones you see like Astero's going at it, um, even in the expo sites, to try to kind of finish them off. But it seems pretty lucrative. Um, most of the rewards themselves, I think, are skins and boosters, um, boosters and um, loot rewards from the sites, and then skins you get for completing sites as kind of the the LP reward or whatever. Um, but it seems like they're pretty well-received. I haven't heard any kind of negative feedback yet. Um, the only thing I've heard is that the a lot of them are not super new bro-friendly, um and they kind of encourage you to do them in groups which i think is generally good um but i don't know if there's a lot of room for new players to be doing them which is the only i think kind of downside or negative i've heard so far
0: gotta go out there and make friends yeah there you go uh my favorite part of the eve Winter is of course the ice storms the graphics for that just so good snow <laughs> and space
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool. I remember the first, I think it was the first year they did the kind of blizzard type effects. There was one site that just washed out your entire screen, like your entire screen was just white and you couldn't see anything else. But I think they've kind of fixed it and perfected it since then. (laughs)
0: whiteout conditions yeah
1: it was rough it was like you you couldn't see anything you just saw you know like you had to use only your uh ui like your overview because uh everything else was like you couldn't see anything in space you had no idea where anything was but it was pretty pretty quickly fixed but i think that was the very very first kind of yule event they did
0: and there'll be more rewards coming down the pipe as well and no one's going to look a holiday event in the mouth usually. I, I've never really heard anybody complain about the uh, the holiday events that CCP does with the exception of like if they're bugged or something like that.
1: Right. But exactly.
0: far more controversial the mining patch has now launched. We talked about this in the interview with the Matani. You can check out the highlight on our YouTube channel. That is uh, youtube.com slash C slash Alexei of K you can check out the highlight there where he gives his hot take on CCP Ritati and the end of scarcity patch. I don't think calling it the prosperity patch would be quite right. However, they did make some changes. They acquiesced to the player base a little bit. They postponed changes to compression. They postponed changes to removing regular ore from R4s, I think it was, or R6, whatever
1: though. Yeah, yeah, that's the one, R4s. R4s.
0: Uh, and they postponed... Certain changes to, I think, the waste mechanic. They still introduced it, but it's not as... Uh... Actually, this might not be a postpone. This might be a permanent change. Who knows? But the waste mechanic isn't as harsh as it was initially proposed.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I think the the kind of high-level specifics are that basically barges and exhumers kind of got buffed in general. Um, but then roracles got nerfed so that they mine more in par with barges. Um, so now you don't, it used to be kind of this clear step where you had this, you know, barge mines a little bit, Exhumer mines an okay amount, and then you have this huge jump to kind of Rorqual mining where then you kind of go parallel and just do more Rorks, and that's how you, you know, mine lots and lots. Now they've kind of changed it to where Rorks in themselves, if they're solo mining, um, don't really mine that much more than a barge. And so the kind of the goal there was to make Oracle's kind of in line with the command ship, um, idea where they basically are fleet support and fleet buffs. So you have the panic module that works for everyone in your sphere. If you get attacked, you can make everyone vulnerable for a given amount of time. Um, you have, you know, the strengths to the mining, um, command boosts and you get like RR and kind of other support bonuses. Um, but like I said, they kind of nerfed the ability for it to mine. And so kind of that's where I think a lot of the negativity for the patches come. Um, that and kind of the waste mechanics in general. But uh, we can talk about why the waste, I think, isn't as big of a deal as people are making it out to be.
0: Well, I think the waste is really interesting because it's it's a big deal, but only for certain players. <laughs> Which, and I think that's what's driving a lot of this... Uh a lot of the disparity of opinion whether you're in null sec, low sec, or high sec. If you're a high sec or a low sec miner, for the most part, you're just looking at your personal income. Because if you, you know need to buy any minerals you're missing or whatever, there's markets close at hand. Nullsec is looking more at extracting the maximum amount of value from the space that they hold. And here's where the waste mechanic really comes in, because if you only have so many moons if you only have so many sites, you're mining through them. You're leaving whatever that waste amount is on the table. Whereas in high-sec, it probably doesn't matter to you as much because you're probably not going through tons of moons or tons of sites personally. That's, that would be very rare for a high-sec player to be doing that by themselves. I'm sure there are multiboxers out there who are doing it happily, but your average player isn't doing that. But your average null-sec player has to think about not just their own personal income, but the income of the group as well. And you've set up a system now where your personal income can be increased in terms of is per hour at the expense of the overall amount of resources that your Alliance is going to have to build things. Yeah. And so that's not a great thing for them specifically.
1: Yeah. So, so let's talk about the the crystals, which are kind of what give you that choice. So basically with the new binding patch, they've released three different types of crystals And those crystals kind of give you different options. So there's A, B, and C. A being basically the normal yield that's more or less like pre-patch yields. But what happens is they have the lowest kind of waste mechanics. So, you know, all the ore basically got doubled. And then I forget the exact numbers, but basically if you use the normal yield, you get the same amount of M3 per hour that you were getting previously, except for kind of some slight buffs to the, the barges in general. But then you waste much less. You end up getting, like, 80% more ore overall, um, but it's going to take you longer to mine that, basically. So every belt has double. Only 20% or so gets wasted, but you mine at the same speed. Um, Then your B crystals are um, going to be, like, your high-yield crystals, but they also waste more. And so with good skills, you end up basically getting only, like, 20% more ore or 26% more ore than what you had pre patch. And so you get more kind of IS per hour m three per hour, but you don't really get that much more net materials. And so that's kind of the, the kind of trade-off that Alec was talking about, where if you're thinking about just yourself, you can yield, you know, you can run these B crystals and you basically make more per hour, but at the cost of kind of the overall market having less, still more than pre-patch levels, but much less than this kind of like, oh, all ores are doubled. Um, And importantly
0: much less than before the scarcity changes in the first place
1: well yeah and that's true so if you're comparing to during scarcity and after scarcity it's more but if you compare to kind of prior to scarcity at all uh, that's not the case and then just for kind of completeness the the last crystals are c-type which are basically for kind of burning out belts so in these sites or anom's things like that where you have kind of a few rocks that are kind of good quality rocks and worth a lot of um, isk, and then a bunch of kind of low tier garbage ones. These rocks are basically designed to kind of burn out the low quality ores after you've mined the high quality ores so that the site will respawn faster. Um, Or, you know, they've kind of played with the idea or tried to encourage the idea of like offensive mining, where you could go and like, you know, burn an enemy's moon mine out with these low, you know, kind of high-waste um, crystals, but I have yet to hear of anyone actually doing that.
0: And I've yet to hear of why that would be preferable than just mining it yourself.
1: Right, yeah, beyond the fact that you need to transport that ore somewhere. But other than that, I think, you know, if you're going to go offensively mine someone's belt, it makes much more sense to profit from that than to waste your time as well as theirs. Yeah.
0: But hey, options. I'm sure someone will find a use for it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I might use them just to make a minor mad and see what they do about it. But that's about all.
0: And that's the thing. It's it's another tool. You know, whether it's a useful tool, who knows? Worst case scenario, somebody just gets confused and accidentally buys them, doesn't realize what they're doing. It adds some complexity to the game. That's perhaps vestigial at worst. But I don't know. It's not the end of the not the end of the world. I think the big issue is the the waste mechanic in general and the overall ore capacity in general. I think players still remain a bit disappointed. Players that look at things at the more strategic level are a bit disappointed at the overall values here and that to get that, they have to spend a ton of time and they're still not getting as much ore as they were getting before the scarcity patch. And CCP did market this as like the end of scarcity, an age of prosperity, that's, it's not really prosperity. It's just less awful than it was.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the marketing part is the part that probably is worst received. Um, and then, I mean, if we're being honest, there's no way to nerf Rorquals that's going to be well received, right? Especially when people have trained to, you know, six box Rorquals or whatever. Like you're not going, there's no nerf you can do to a Rorkwolves that someone's going to be like, okay, you made this fair and balanced for me to be happy about having six Oracle accounts and, you know, them not being as effective as they used to be. Yeah, true. So, I mean, so in some ways I think there was no way like, you know, we've talked in the past, I think like long, long ago about how, you know, Oracle's kind of needed to be nerfed. They were never meant to be these like amazing solo miners that you could just kind of scale up indefinitely. And so I, at least in my opinion, they needed nerfed to some degree at some point, and I don't think there was any way to do that where it was going to be, like, well-received at all.
0: I mean, I'm, I'm kind of mixed on it, because one of the side effects of the Rourkes being so good is that a lot of people used them and put them in space, which meant they were tackleable, And a lot of great fights have been had from groups of all sizes, tackling Rourkes and getting that escalation. So if the nerfs are such that people aren't putting them on field anymore, then I think that's a net negative, at least for the PVPers among us. Um, I think you could have looked at nerfs, like extend the, um, their siege module, make it last longer so that they're more vulnerable in space. You could have looked at hits to their fitting hits to their defensive capabilities in ways that make them easier to attack, but maybe they still make a lot of money. Um, you know, the, you had options there. Um, I I don't know. I I don't know enough about mining to say whether or not these nerves are going to break that dynamic where we're not going to see workles in space. But there is definitely a point at which it doesn't make sense for people to take them out and use them if they're not worth it.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, with the kind of increasing cost of all caps, I think that's a fair point, right? They used to be much cheaper. Now they're more expensive. Now you're mining their overall or minimizing their overall mining capability, like, I think there's still a lot of strengths. Like, I think having a Rourke on field adds a lot of ability. It just means that multiboxing rooks like you used to is not as effective um, or as, I guess, isk efficient.
0: You're better off putting the one Rourke on field than putting your multi-boxers in barges. It's Basically how it is now.
1: Right, exactly. And I, I think I, I mostly agree with your point that like having Rourke's in space was nice because it could be uh, kind of, combat starter, but I would also push back a little bit on that because Rourkes are maybe one of the least engageable things. Um, If you think about, you know, having the panic and vulnerability where you just have time where they're literally sitting on grid and you can't shoot them, Um, their ability to kind of combat refit off um, a mobile depot. Um, a lot of times they're mining under umbrellas where, you know, like the last recall we shot at, um, they dropped like 10 plus supers and uh, fax to defend it within, you know, three, four minutes. So I think like you lose a lot of the kind of small scale fights that you can get off smaller mining fleets. Like if you tack on Orca, it's expensive enough that people will respond, but they're not going to respond with supers and faxes usually. Um, where if you tackle two rorks, that will 100% happen and rorks in their own right, like you, um, are pretty defensively capable. Like they get good drone damage bonuses. But I think like you said, the idea of maybe nerfing their defensive capabilities would have been a way to kind of push them more towards that kind of more engageable, but still valuable to have as a mining kind of asset.
0: I like that the Orca is getting a bit of a boost, but now I feel like it horns in on the new role for the Rork a little too much. You know, the Orca is much, much cheaper than the Rourke. You know, is it really worth it to do the Rourke instead of the Orca? Like, if that works out good for us, because we get better quality fights, I think is what you're advocating for. We get better quality fights with these smaller scale ships. Okay, but we have to see if that theory pans out. We know the Rurkroll is tried and true because it's expensive enough that people really care to send defensive fleets to come get them. Hulks and Barges, they're very expensive. They make great kill mails, but they're not good fight generators because they tend to die really quickly. And they're just not worth people putting an entire defense fleet together to come save. Even if they weren't, they're only a couple hundred mil.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think we'll still see Rurkrolls in big NullSec mining fleets just because the panic mechanic is super strong. Um, But yeah, I think that maybe getting fights off like an Orca fleet uh, or just barges will probably be unlikely. Like you said, they die pretty fast. They're not made to super tank or anything like that, um, with the exception of like Skiff. But in general, they don't survive long enough for a meaningful response to come in.
0: So one interesting thing that's going on is these crystals that we've been talking about. They're extremely volatile price-wise. I don't think the market has settled, and they're basically required for mining now. Is that true?
1: Uh, yes. I think you can mine without them, but at decreased amount and higher damage, So or um, higher wastage. So they're more or less required, and because they have just started being built, you know the demand is high, the supply is low, and so it's been ping-ponging kind of all over the place.
0: Great time to set up some buy orders. There you go. <laughs> well, we hope this means more miners in space. Uh, so far, we have noticed a lot of them being killed. Could just because people are interested in going out and trying out the new patch. Maybe it'll settle down. Um, mining is one of those interesting things in Eve where it's only as good as the market. Like your isp per hour is your isk per hour doesn't actually matter how much mining you're pulling in from your actual ship, the is per hour is determined by the market price for what you're pulling in. So if everyone is mining more and minerals become more available, the price for them will drop, which will normalize the S per hour. So it kind of has this uh, built-in feedback mechanic, which keeps the price and S per hour somewhat balanced and harmonious in and of itself. So I don't think we'll see, I mean, I definitely think we'll see an increase in the mineral supply, which means prices in general will go down, at least temporarily. And then we'll see how things balance out, whether or not you know more miners are out there sort of per capita. <laughs> That'll determine whether or not mineral prices continue to drop. I mean, there are some people who are going to mine no matter what. They don't care whether it's the most is per hour in the game or not. They just like doing it. So there's always that crowd. Uh, but there are other players which are more ISC conscious, you know, do they mine or do they run sites? Do they mine or do they run incursions? So right. those folks are going to be looking at that ISC per hour yield, and it's going to go up and down depending on the prices. And if not a lot of people mine, those prices are going to go up and it's going to look a lot more attractive to mine. There are a lot of people out there mining, you know, even with the same ISC per hour, or excuse me, same yield per hour that you had before, you might be making actually less money. And if you have more yield per hour, you actually have the same yield per hour as everyone else because this patch is hitting everyone equally. So your is per hour may in fact still go down. Really depends on how the market plays.
1: Yeah, and I think that's part of why it's so hard to really predict what's going to happen market-wise. Because like you said, you know, is, can, is per hour can actually drop for people even if they're mining more total ore. Um, if everyone else is also, you know, mining more total ore and flooding the market. So it'll be really hard to see like kind of where things balance out as far as how much people are actually mining, how many people are out mining, and all that kind of stuff. And then also, uh, you know, just the fact that again, like the top mining ship now, I think is still kind of tied between um, Exumer and um, Rurkwool, but Rurkwools are worse than they used to be. So the, if you were just going to say, like, what's the total amount that you could mine per character? It's ultimately net lower um, after the patch because of the fact that Oracles got nerfed and they were by far the best miner.
0: I'm just going to hit the high end, harder core miners. Much, much harder than like your casual. I'm just going to hop in and mine for an hour, kind of high set guy.
1: Right, exactly.
0: Mm. Interesting. Interesting. The Eve economy is complex and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of interaction there that you might not think about. Like the hardcore NullSec guys, if they can't get their mineral supply, you know, is that going to drive up prices in Jita because they're exporting? You know, things, things like that are things to keep an eye out.
1: Yeah. And then I think though, not related to mining per se, but kind of the one cool quality of life thing that was also in this patch uh, that was kind of stealthily added um, was the in-game fitting window now has um, like a history function. So you can go back, like, you know, if you're tweaking things on a fit, you basically can go and undo it or compare between two versions of a fit, which is kind of cool.
0: Yeah. Cool. (laughs) That's a pretty tiny thing. I don't know who was asking for that, but it's nice.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's I don't know how many times I've been trying to compare, you know, like, do I want this fit with, you know, this mod or this mod or tweak these two? And then you're like, oh, crap, now I need to go back. And then I forgot what, you know, my HP per second reps were or whatever. So mm-hmm. it's nice to be able to go back and forth. It's a good quality of life change. But like you said, something small.
0: Well, speaking of things going back and forth, Cloud ring It's about to uh, change hands, or at least that's how it appears from the fighting so far. We've got the initiative trying to reclaim the space, or at least part of that space, from Triumvirate, who is being backed by Greater Trash Coalition. The high-level element of this, and I want to give a a big shout out to Frosty's OP for their her interview with Garth and for just generally covering the story really well. If you don't follow her on YouTube, please do. It's Frosty's OP. Um the the TLDR, for anyone who, who just doesn't have time to go through all the minutiae, the strategic goal is initiative wants to reestablish jump bridge network that they had before they lost this region in World War B2. This jump bridge network will extend their existing jump bridge network all the way up to the northern regions of Declan and Fade, which gives them great access to roaming targets. And, you know, if you're, Anyone who's on the, the business end of the Imperium, you've got to be worried that it's going to make it a lot more feasible for them to invade you someday if they wanted to. So, Init is looking to reestablish this. They're taking key systems that they'll need to facilitate that jump bridge network, and they're also looking to get a jump bridge network to Losec, which Clattering also provides. So, as part of this process, they have been fighting Tri, knocked out Tri's staging Fortizar, but have not knocked Tri out of the fight entirely. Um kind of seems like if init doesn't bring the rest of the imperium with them try and their allies stand a fair chance of winning the fight it's a lot more even than you'd think but obviously initiative has a lot more backup to bring than try does so for these key timers they are getting pushed out but it's a proper fight and try is holding their ground which is cool uh try is not exactly known for being a fragile alliance they've been around the block several times. So regardless of what happens in CloudRing or how much of Cloud Ring they lose, they're gonna be fine. It's just a matter of of where they would go. And with that said, it doesn't look like Initiative is really aiming to steamroll the entire region, or if they do plan on doing that, it's not at that phase yet. Right now they seem to be focused on these key systems specifically, and then just generally kind of keeping Try back as far as being able to threaten those jump bridge systems. So it may very well end up with a scenario where Try and Initiative kind of co-own the region, where Try holds most of the space, but Initiative holds the key strategic points that are relevant to it as a southern power. And Try may have to play around that, learn to live with it. Maybe the two skirmish back and forth, who knows. But that's where things seem to be at the moment.
1: Yeah, I mean, that seems like a pretty reasonable take and also kind of goes to a little bit of um, like your last interview with Matani talking about certain regions, you know, you need a strategic pipeline, but you don't need the full region and it changes hands frequently. But the key parts that you care about, you kind of maintain, whether that be moons, jump bridge, you know, connections, whatever.
0: I mean, as long as as long as try isn't continually harassing those jump bridges then it's actually kind of to initiative's favor to have them around because that gives them targets when they're bridging into that area that they can go look to fight around without having to go extra jumps up north. But, uh, you know, Tri is a pretty scrappy group, so they're not exactly going to just sit there and be farmed. You know what I mean? They're going
1: right. to back. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that in general, groups usually want someone a little more docile as their neighbor, someone that they know yeah. they can push around if they really want to, and try is not, like you said, not necessarily pushovers. So I think having them as your direct neighbor is probably not ideal for init and um, goons in general.
0: So this, this could play out two other ways, which is initiative does remove try and installs them with some sort of a floodplain type alliance, someone a bit more docile, as you've said, or they'll flush try out and just kind of leave a power vacuum and hope that two or three or four small alliances will come in and take various parts of cloud ring, which has also happened in its recent history. And in those cases, usually they're not going to, each of those alliances by themselves isn't going to be a threat to initiative or their strategic infrastructure, but it will function sort of as a floodplain there because... You know, those alliances will want to keep their space and will do what it takes to keep that space.
1: Yeah, I think if I had to just guess with kind of no other insight, um, I would say probably the last one is the most likely to happen. Um, try get pushed out kind of entirely, um, probably after, and it kind of bat the rest of Imperium um, to help with that push. And then kind of smaller groups move in after the fact and kind of fill it in my guess but uh i won't put much money on
0: it well speaking of putting money on a bet fraternity keeps on investing and in trying to harass podfin and it keeps not working for them
1: <laughs> yeah so uh the last two weekends actually there's been big fights in Pochfin. um i would say kind of this weekend was much more mild but the last weekend um ended up being about a hundred bill killed between the two sides. Um, I do have a BR, but it's a little bit messy because there was a lot of kind of third-party assistance on this side or the other, um, but it ended up being uh, well over 600, almost 700 people in Pochvin at least, um, Wrote brought out some dreads, um, I think seven dreads or so at one point, uh, maybe a few more, and just absolutely deleted um, the Elysians, um, and fraternity fleets, which were kind of the two aggressors there. So for to kind of set up, uh, Nalvula is kind of one of the primary systems in Pochfin. It has both a frat fort there as well as um, a Rote-Capel fort and some other smaller structures. But to my understanding, these are basically the last two large structures, last two fort in Pochfin, um, and no more can go down. So um, essentially, if these die, there's no other kind of fort there to do any or no other structure that can be put down in its place and serve the same purpose for caps to dock up and that kind of thing
0: two fort center one fort leaves two fort center one fort leaves
1: (laughs) exactly so like i said there's other structures you know there's other places people can tether um there's npc stations in Pocfin, but there's only these two forts as far as i know Yeah, and then just kind of to add to that, so this weekend was a much smaller fight, more like 10-bill, no-caps came out. Um, But kind of like we've talked about, seeing caps in Pokvin is also pretty unique because of the fact that they can't be built in there anymore. So all the ones that are in there are legacy ones from when um, Triglavians took over the space. So um, Dreads That Die cannot be replaced there either.
0: That's a pretty cool feature of that. That thing. I mean, eventually we're going to get to a point where there's no caps left there. I wonder what will happen.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a. I think it's kind of interesting because you know part of it is just the fact that the fort's still there and it's a novelty, but also that fort you know provides a function right now, which is to let cap stock that can't dock other places. I guess uh, dreads can dock in NPC stations, but yeah. um, supers cannot. And the I don't know how many can't dock
0: at their fortas are either. But they oh can't yeah, dock yeah, either. that's
1: Right. So, um,
0: are, do we know if it's confirmed that there are supers in Poch?
1: There's at least a couple rumored that I know about. I don't know if they're in Nabula or not, but I have heard that there are a couple legacy supers still around.
0: Interesting. This is going to be the white whales of Pochman.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can only imagine like how hard it would be to sell a super. I think if you have one, it's just a novelty and like the people who had caps in high-sec kind of thing.
0: Well, the big difference being people who had caps and high-sec couldn't use them to shoot anything. If you're in Pochman, that super is like a nuclear weapon.
1: This is true. Yeah, that's a good point.
0: <laughs> I mean, everyone wants to get it away from you, but at the same time, even the threat of being able to use it can limit other people being able to do their stuff.
1: Yeah, which adds kind of an interesting dynamic to the region. Because it's already so packed in and you have a lot of groups kind of bumping into each other. So knowing what another group is capable of and them having kind of this bigger hammer that you can't deal with makes it pretty interesting.
0: All right, well, we'll continue to follow the story as it develops and hopefully we'll get in on some of these fights. In the meantime... I just want to give a quick shout out that the Black Mark Awards are going to be coming soon. Um, I haven't had time to do it because work has been super crazy. But once work ends, I'm going to open up the nomination period. And that is for folks that are in the network or are on the declarations of our discord. That means VIPs and former guests. That'll be the nomination phase. And then once again, we are going to open up the... Uh, like the general voting, who is actually going to win the award, that'll be open to the public. So you'll head to declarationsaward.com to cast your vote there. Pretty excited about the Black Mark Awards. It's always a lot of fun. If you're not familiar with it, you just started listening to us this year. It's our end-of-the-year award ceremony. We've been doing it for a couple years now. Uh, You may have noticed other EVE podcasts starting to pick it up. We fully support them, too. Uh, But Black Mark Awards, happy to say, was the first and certainly, I think, the coolest, (laughs) the most prestigious. The totally scientific polls to determine who is guest of the year. Uh, Best noir pilot we have in there, mostly for us to vote, but, you know, we'll take the opportunity while we can. Um, We usually do coolest event, best dev. Like, there are a couple different categories. I haven't 100% decided what the categories are going to be this year, but all your favorites are going to return, plus possibly one or two getting rotated out. So that's the deal on the Black Marker Awards. Look for posts about this coming up in the next couple of weeks. If you are in the network, or if you are on the Declarations of War Discord, and if you are part of the listening faithful out there, you'll probably see voting posts go out in early January. As for host highlights, uh, I've just been enjoying taking our new doctrines out for a spin. I uh, don't think we've really talked about the new doctrines yet, Andy. Which
1: is, I like- know, I.
0: And I was so excited to do that, but we've just had so much news happening.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, maybe next time. Maybe that yeah, should be our, yeah. our next time topic. Because, yeah, I, I haven't gotten to use them as much as I want to, but I am excited about them. So I was happy with some of the things we picked for New Doctrines.
0: Yeah, a little, little preview. We're using Sacrilegious now. We've got Typhoons now. Um, some wolves mixed in with our Nurgles. A lot of good stuff. I've had a really good time with them every time we've taken them out. I don't think I've had a bad fight yet. Andy?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I've been pleasantly surprised with how they've performed overall, especially the kind of wolf pack fleets. Um, But yeah, so for for my host highlight, um, I've been kind of traveling the last two weekends to help family with stuff. And I'm hopefully done both traveling, at least for a bit, um, and hopefully done missing out on our cool new Doctrine Fleets. Um, that's been kind of, we had a couple of really good fights over the past two weekends that I just kind of watched our killboard and watched cool things hit our killboard, knowing that I couldn't be there <laughs> because I was helping family with stuff. So uh, kind of my highlight is being done with that so that hopefully I get a little bit more time to relax and play eat. Nice.
0: Give a shout-out to our Golden Elite supporters, Mark Havoc, Kestrel Swainson, Acercard, Krav. Thank you so much. And I also want to give a shout-out to DeSync, a European timezone corp based in Thera we've been flying around with for the past two weeks. Really great bunch of guys. It's been very fun getting to know them and learning a few things from them.
1: Yeah, and then uh, my shout-out goes to Kira, who has been FCing some Blobs fleets for us uh, and making my life really easy by doing kind of all the hard parts of Blobsing so that I can do all the easy stuff. Um, we've been kind of the one thing I have been able to do during the weeks is do some Blobs roams and Blobs hunting, um, and we were also joined by a corp in Horde uh, called Black Crow Bandits. They just kind of um, joined us for some fun content, um, some good drops in the Providence area, and so um, shout out to Kira for kind of making that easy and helping coordinate that as well.
0: All right, that's it. Head to declarations of to participate in the show poll. Head to youtube.com slash C slash Alex to leave a comment on the show highlight. We didn't do that segment this show, but we're going to be bringing it back in the new year. If you leave a comment on the show highlight, you are eligible to win a partner skin. These are very cool skins. So leave your best, most insightful or funniest comment on our YouTube channel, and you will be eligible to win. Noir Recruitment is no longer paused. We are reopened for December, going on into 2022. The Alliance Tournament is over. We placed. We did great. We're excited about that, but we're more excited to get back into contracts. So, if you've ever thought about joining, now's a great time of year to join. You can hop in, get to know us over the holidays, and then join us for our big contracts coming in January. If you're a newer player, we have Noir Academy open for you with... PvP classes, hands-on learning, as well as lectures and feedback on your piloting. It's a really great program. So uh, that's it. Head to Cafe CafeNoir. That's Cafe Space Noir, period, in-game for more information. You can also mail myself or Andy if you have any questions. There's a link to our Discord there, so you can hop on and get to know us a little bit. And we just hope to hear from you.
1: Wherever you are and whoever you're flying with, good hunting listeners.